Hello, I'm Kate Fisher. Welcome to Milkshakes for Mali, the podcast that gives blood product recipients a platform to tell their stories, to thank donors and to encourage people to donate blood, plasma, platelets or breast milk. I'm recording parts of this episode from my brother's farm in New South Wales. It's our first time that our family have all been together for over a year due to COVID lockdowns and border closures in Australia, and I've spent the day listening to my children squealing with delight in the pool with their cousins, kicking about with my brother and sister and their partners, who I also love like siblings, and also spending great time with my mum and my grandfather. Um, I've also spent the day watching a very curious little blue fairy wren flying in and out of our family celebrations. We've always had visits from these birds on significant family occasions and Campbell, who's our nine-year-old surviving twin, firmly believes that this is the way that his late twin brother Benjamin visits us to tell us that he is still close. So I dedicate this episode to all of the bereaved families. No matter the gestation that you lost your baby, I acknowledge them in this podcast episode and I know nothing I can say will ease the ache and I am so so sorry. In today's episode, we're going to speak to two incredible families who have accessed breast milk through the Lifeblood Milk Bank for their babies. I know that breastfeeding is always an emotive topic and I have made this episode with so much love. The truth of the matter is that not everyone can breastfeed for a multitude of reasons and while I loved my extended breastfeeding journey with my children and it's something that I am fiercely proud of, We also used formula at different times, and this episode does not seek to judge the way that any family chooses to feed their baby. I've made this episode so that people are aware that in some states, and for some very vulnerable babies, that milk banks are an option. But as always, please consult with your medical professionals about the best plan for your family. Thousands of babies are born prematurely each year, and with that early arrival comes a unique set of health challenges. One of those challenges is that often mothers of premature babies face challenges in producing the volume of breast milk that their babies need because their bodies aren't ready due to their baby's early arrival. And this is especially the case if the baby is unable to directly feed from the breast, which so many preemie babies are unable to do straight away. For some, this will last days or weeks, and for others this will be months, and this time will be spent in neonatal intensive care units, or NICUs, as you may hear them referred to in this episode. The benefits of breast milk is that it is more easily digested than formula, and it protects the gut and improves feed tolerance. Breast milk also contains antibodies that can help protect babies against viruses and bacteria, which is so essential to fragile, premature babies. Breast milk is collected from donors when they have expressed at least three litres, obviously across many pumping sessions, with milk being stored in sterile bags and frozen. It is then screened and tested for safety, pasteurised and distributed to babies in need. Lifeblood milk banks are available in Sydney, Adelaide and Brisbane. And our first guest, Nikki, used breast milk from the Sydney Lifeblood milk bank for one of her twins, who also needed blood products. Here is my chat with Nikki. Hi, Nikki, and welcome to the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. I understand that your boys received donor breast milk while in NICU and they were born at 27 weeks. Did you have any indication that your boys would be born early and did you have much time to prepare? None. 
I had no clue. I um, was working from home on a Monday um, Mm -hmm. and because we'd just gone into not lockdown but everyone was advised to work from home because of COVID. Sure. Been working from home for a week, I think. Um, Yep, not a clue. So I was just at my computer and I went, "Mm, I feel different yeah not sure what's happening spoke to my midwife uh, not my midwife spoke to the nurse at the obstetrician's office and mm-hmm. she said oh just monitor it and if it gets any worse at all call me back and mm-hmm. I called back and she's like all right just go get checked out I'm sure it's fine um and then yeah all was on from there it wasn't fine it was not fine at all and you know that with your mum intuition don't you like you just know when something's not oh, quite right actually I knew something wasn't right I this is a bit too much information possibly oh, but I honestly no thought they were going to tell me here. I was constipated and yeah. go back home yeah absolutely <laughs> that was, and that I mean was it. that happens so much in pregnancy yeah. it's such a common symptom so um was That's it your first right. pregnancy it was, yeah. yeah so I really okay. have no idea what to expect. And I'd missed all the classes for, um, you know, what to expect and things because of COVID. Mm-hmm. So I such had a, no clue It must clue be what such a different experience having your first baby during that COVID time. You know, when I was pregnant with my first baby, um, we actually went into labour at 28 weeks and they managed to hold it off for a little while it still came early but because of that they rushed forward our birthing classes and you know I was able to go to prenatal yoga and had all of that support around me because we knew that he would be early we went and you know toured a NICU facility and all of those things in preparation for the fact that all signs indicated they wouldn't be able to stop it forever um on top of it just being such a surprise that your little ones came pretty soon after that it must be hard not having that support around you with COVID as well yeah it was definitely interesting um Mm -hmm. I'd luckily probably had the view all along but I wasn't going to bother with a birthing plan because the doctors knew what's best and so I just kind of go with what they had said so I wasn't disappointed that I didn't get my you know whatever I wanted out of it Actually, mm-hmm. I had um, <laughs> Angus, the first twin, came naturally and then I had an emergency C-section. So I got to experience the best of both worlds. Despite oh, Nikki, that's a big having <laughs> It was. So, but I'd always, I've got back issues, so I'd always said, oh, I'd just go straight for the elective C-section. Okay. So I hadn't ever anticipated experiencing a natural wow. birth. Yeah. What a big day. That That's a lot. That's not fair. That feels like you got yeah, a bit ripped off. That's not oh. fair to do both in one day, one or the other. Like I don't think there's don't an know. easy option when you're birthing that, you know, both have their ups and downsides and it's oh. both a magical experience. But to do both in one day, that's a lot. <laughs> Definitely. And um, so add to the interestingness of my story, um, mm. my parents and family were all in Adelaide and I was in Sydney and it just so happened that my parents had started driving over from Adelaide <gasps> on that day without knowing what was happening Wow! Um, in case borders closed and they couldn't actually get to me sure. when the boys arrived. Mm-hmm. So I've had a phone call on the way um, going, don't panic, <laughs> but he's in labour. Wow. So that must have been a long there. drive for them. 
I think so. They arrived on um, Tuesday around lunchtime. So. <laughs> and when were the boys born? Um, Monday at um, 5.40ish and 6.15 or something. Uh, so yeah. they came quite quickly after you knew that they something came wasn't quite right. Within, I think by the time I got to the hospital, they were there within two and a half hours. So, oh, Nikki. But I would... And I'd gone to the private hospital and had to be transferred um, to the public hospital because the private didn't have the facilities for the boys. Sure. So it was as soon as we, we made it just in time. Wow. So the irony so. of the fact that I said, you know, did you have any indication they were coming early and did yeah. you have much time to prepare? <laughs> no. Not at all. <laughs> no, <you> <laughs> Literally none. Um, so you said that they're your first babies, so you hadn't breastfed a baby previously. Had you no. planned to breastfeed the boys? Like, had you thought about the oh. fact being twins, there was a possibility of them being early and using breast milk or, you know, donor I, breast no. milk on your own? I didn't really know much about the donor breast milk at all. Um, I had mentally prepared for the fact that, being twins, I probably mm-hmm. wasn't going to be solely breastfeeding, mm-hmm. but I wanted to give as much of it a go as I could. But I was definitely prepared for the fact that I'd be substituting some with formula. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, you go in hopeful that you'll get to term. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but I guess from Literally the day before they arrived, I said, we're so close to 28 weeks, which is the yeah. really viable mark. I was, so I was kind of counting down and going, okay, it gets better from here, yeah. safer. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I didn't even know anything about donor milk until um, probably day two or three when one of the nurses approached me and asked if that was okay to feed them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so obviously the boys went straight to NICU after they yeah. were born. Um, what can you remember about that conversation when donor breast milk was offered? Like, did you have to think about it very much or was it something you just agreed to or is it all just such a haze of survival mode in those days that, yeah. I, just... no, I remember quite clearly the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually one of our favourite NICU nurses Wonderful. who talked about it um, and we just, I just thought it was the most amazing gift and I didn't take any time at all to think about it. My milk wasn't coming in at all and I struggled the whole time Mm -hmm. I was there to get any milk and it just, it blew my mind that people do this for other people um, and it just made such a big difference. Mm. Um, When you've got prem babies, your body is up against it so much. So, you know, because you've had half a pregnancy or however much of a pregnancy, your body's not ready really Mm. to be producing milk for them. So, but these little, little people are the ones that need it the most because they've got everything uphill. Um, Against them. Yeah. So Mm. I think it's just the most amazing gift. Mm. And I was really surprised that anyone would say no. Yeah. Um, or yeah. that would anyone would have to think about it. But I the nurse said, you know, it, it does happen, it doesn't happen a lot, mm. but there are definitely people who aren't open to it. Mm. 
Yeah. And that's one of the beautiful just, things about you coming on today and telling your story. I think, you know, sometimes we're just frightened of the things that we don't understand and we haven't seen other people experience and we're having the opportunity to normalise that so much. And um, in the introduction to this episode, I've provided some information about, you know, the safety and the quality assurance and pasteurisation of the milk, like all of that kind yeah. of stuff to give people an understanding of the process and screening of donors and all of those things that Lifeblood go through to make sure that it's so safe because, you know, we all know how, you know, how fragile the lives of premier babies can be. Um, you were saying before that you'd gone through half a pregnancy. I had the opposite experience when I was pregnant with my twins. Um, we actually lost one of our twins in utero. Um, so when, our, I mean, we lost him during the pregnancy. His name's Benjamin. Um, I carried them both to term, birthed them on the same day. And I had the opposite problem because my body had carried two babies oh. to term I had such a massive oversupply of milk and we were living in Canberra at the time and you know I didn't have the ability to donate my milk through a milk bank um, but I did have other mums in my mother's group who had had babies at the same time and it's such a special thing to know that I was able to then give some of that milk you know onto those other families so yeah, yeah I understand the beautiful things that can come with a twin pregnancy. So I'm yeah. so glad that even oh. though your boys came early, that they're here and they're happy yeah. and all of those things. Yeah, they're doing um, so well. Yeah. So what benefits do you feel like the boys got from receiving donor breast milk? Um, I think it gave them just all the goodness that comes from the early breast milk. Um, mm -hmm. So they would have had a bit of added immunity when they're in an environment where it's so easy and to get sick and the consequences of that can be really dire. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it just mm -hmm. and all those added fats and all just all the nutrients that they get out of it. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Just, so just, um, all the benefits that I couldn't provide them at yeah. that time. Yeah. Yeah. But they could still get. Mm, and just so much easier for their little bodies to digest as well. And particularly, yeah. you know, when they're so little, you don't want to put any additional stress on their bodies if you can avoid That's it. Right. So um, such an amazing thing. Um, premature babies also often need blood products. Did either of your boys receive blood products during their time in NICU? Yeah, so um, my twin that arrived first, Angus, he had to have a blood transfusion when he was, I think, about a week old. Right. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's, I mean, that's a pretty common thing it's, for little babies. So Yeah, little so I think early. it was he had his um, his blood cell count was too low mm -hmm. I think and then yeah. there was a possibility that he'd need another one but uh, yeah. we didn't end up needing that second mm -hmm. blood transfusion it's such a haze during that time we haven't spent we've only spent time in a special care nursery with an early baby um, but spent lots of time in paediatric intensive care with Marley yeah. and you have to make so many decisions and you have so many people talking to you with one child yeah. in a situation like that, I can't imagine the experience of doing it. Oh, with two. Um, and you learn always, quickly. Yeah, we always say to our guests that, you know, not to worry about, you know, the medical or the technical jargon or having, you know, a scientific recall of their medical records. This podcast is to share your experience and the way that you remember it. So, you yeah. know, just share it as it is and as it feels to you. Um, but that's pretty incredible that, 
you know, your access donor breast milk and donor blood to yeah. keep your beautiful boys happy and healthy and all of those things. Um, you must have had some really scary times when your boys were first born, wondered if they would survive and what their quality of life might look like if they did. Um, can you just tell me about a typical day in your house and what the boys' lives look like now? Now? Oh, gosh, it doesn't stop. They are so <laughs> active and into everything. Yeah. So they're so 19 months they now? old. 19 Sorry. months old um, yeah. and 16 months corrected. Yeah. They are. They don't stop. They don't want to sleep. They yeah. are complete um destruction crew so <laughs> <laughs> nothing is off limits they pull out everything out of drawers then they'll sit in the drawers together they will run up and down the hallway all day long yeah. <laughs> they're so active and lively Double so, yeah <laughs> we still have lots of appointments and things yeah, sure. that we fit in um but they're gonna start childcare in a couple of weeks so How exciting it's very exciting they, they're gonna love it <laughs> yeah that's awesome um so what would you like to say to australian blood and breast milk donors in australia big thank you um it i feel like it definitely gave my boys both of them the best chance um, to get started at life mm -hmm. um, at a time when, yeah, you're so busy and you've got so much stuff on your mind mm -hmm. um, and your body's not necessarily doing the things that you think it should be doing mm -hmm. to have that there as a backup and a lifeline is just incredible. And to know that someone that doesn't know your kids would do that for you is just amazing and thank you awesome. if you're thinking about it do it that's perfect lovely thank you so much that's everything Great. that we need so thank you so Great. much for being on the milkshakes for Mali podcast um and i look forward to sharing the episodes with you look forward to seeing it hearing Done. it <laughs> thanks our next guest is adelaide-based mama mandy her twin daughters were born at 28 weeks gestation and they both received donor breast milk during the two months that they spent in hospital as Mandy simply couldn't make enough breast milk for them on her own. Mandy is a midwife and has shared so much wisdom from a personal and professional perspective and her chat has stayed with me long after we recorded the interview. It is my pleasure to share my chat with Mandy. So, hello, Mandy. Welcome to the Milkshakes for Marley podcast. Um, Thank you for having me. Recording this episode in November during Prematurity Awareness Month. Um, yes. You are a midwife yourself, so I guess yes. your experience of pregnancy would be a little bit different to other people's because you understand it so well. Um, yes. Did you have any indication that the girls would be born early and did you have much time to prepare? No indication whatsoever. Um, we had, uh, well, my husband and I were planning a family and we fortunately fell pregnant naturally with twins. Mm -hmm. um, so everything was going swimmingly well. I was still working as a midwife, still doing my normal shift work. And uh, girls were growing beautifully. Um, mm -hmm. There was no indication that there was anything sinister happening whatsoever. And then the morning of the 10th of October 2020, um, my husband went off to work and I woke up and my waters just broke. <gasps> and um, so there was no indication of that. I mean, through the week I was still working, 
and uh, it happened to be the first day of my maternity leave so (laughs) it's almost like the girls were like back to work you go mum (laughs) so yes there was no time to prepare I hadn't uh, being a midwife I know how important it is to be um organized and have your Mm. baby backpack but did I take my own advice no absolutely I was I was planning on having uh, that weekend to pack all my things and get a Mm. bag ready I didn't even have any sanitary items to use when my waters broke so I I was one of of those women that walked into the women's assessment with a towel between my legs so um and yeah. look, no judgment, but yes, no we've judgment. all seen those women come in. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, yeah, there was no indication and there was no warning, um, mm-hmm. no, no time to prep that they were coming early. Yeah. yeah. But you obviously would have known what that meant straight away when your waters Ab- broke and absolutely. what the risks were for both you and the babies. Absolutely. You had to get seen were, too quickly. Absolutely. They were both in the breach position so Mm -hmm. what scared me the most having the knowledge that I do is that I could have potentially have had a cord prolapse at home which means the cord presenting first and potentially one or both of them not surviving so I knew how important it was to call the hospital call my husband back home from work Mm -hmm. and um, just try and keep myself calm in that moment while waiting to get to the hospital I live an hour away where I, I I had my babies where I work so I live an hour mm. away so it was a big drive so it was probably mm. the most scary time in my life thinking am I going to lose my babies mm. am I going to be safe but my my utmost importance was the girls making of sure course. that they were healthy and well but fortunately we got to the hospital I wasn't contracting I wasn't in labor at that time um but my waters had just broken. So, and then I was able to get to the hospital safely, seen by the midwife, seen by um, the doctor. And I thought I was just going to be a bit of a sitting duck on the antenatal gynae ward for a little while. And I thought, oh, here I go. I'm going to be sitting on this ward for weeks. But luckily it's where I work, so I have lots of friends around me. Someone could do a coffee delivery for you. (laughs) Someone could do a coffee delivery. I could go up and visit my friends. So I kind of had, you know, prepped myself that it might be a few weeks in hospital which mm-hmm. I wasn't joyful about but I would have done it if mm-hmm. I needed to and then all of a sudden I kind of cracked on into labor I sent my husband home because he worked in the morning I was like come back tomorrow it's fine nothing's happening you know first time mum first time having babies I'm not gonna you know I know that sometimes labor takes a while with first babies so mm-hmm. and then I started with a bit of back pain and all my midwife knowledge went out of my head. All premature yeah. labor usually starts in your back. That's yeah. what happened. And then things just cracked along very quickly. And they did try and stop my labor, but I was already seven centimeters. <gasps> rushed yeah, around. No stopping it at seven centimeters. No stopping. There was nothing stopping it. And rushed around uh, for an emergency cesarean. Unfortunately, without my husband there, he arrived 15 minutes after the girls were born. But I was fortunate enough to have a couple of good midwife friends come through with me and kind of play the, the role of my husband, yeah, great. which was nice. Mm. And I was able to have those uh, important medications such as magnesium sulfate to help with the neuroprotection for the girls and uh, which made me feel awful Um, if any women out there ever have to have magnesium sulfate it does make you feel dreadful but it is Mm -hmm. extremely vital if you can get that in for premature babies and I was fortunate enough to receive one steroid injection to help with their lung maturity so usually we like women to have two but things were happening too quickly so Mm -hmm. one one did the job and then yeah the girls were born and unfortunately mm-hmm. they came out kicking and screaming they were little but mighty so yeah. 
Yeah. And so what gestation were they born? 28 and two days, 28 weeks and two days. Yeah. That's incredible. Big two, big two. I was looking forward to getting that nice big twin belly and, you know, walking around with a tummy and not feeling guilty about it. Absolutely. (laughs) But my tummy probably was the size of a singleton term belly. So I kind of did get that, um, that feel, I guess. Um, Excuse me. So I kind of did get to feel that. But the most, I guess, I just was sad I didn't get all of my maternity. I didn't even get one day of maternity. You didn't even get to go and have a Mountie Petty, go to the movies by yourself. Nothing. I was planning on sleeping in. Yeah. Yeah. Eating ice cream in bed, having a cry over a movie, like all of (laughs) these. Absolutely. (laughs) All of that stuff. Yes. (laughs) Um, So so the girls don't have any older siblings. They were your first babies they're my first Um, babies had you planned to breastfeed them yes absolutely um I have helped many women along my 10 years of being a midwife breastfeeding and I knew the importance of breast milk especially for preemie babies Mm. um so as soon as they were born and I was um back up to the postnatal ward I started expressing straight away and obviously having an emergency surgery, 28 weeks gestation, my body wasn't really ready to do it. And I no. expressed 0.9 of a mil, not even a mil. Hey, that's <laughs> good. That is amazing, though, at the beginning. But to be able to do that after you've gone through that, like that is liquid gold that is in that. Absolutely. Like, Anything you Not can a get. huge amount for two babies. That's right. Mm. Exactly. So, mm. and I remember um, when... I was in, I did go up to the postnatal ward. I had one of the neonatal nurse practitioners come up and I was just bombarded with a lot of information, but fortunately Mm. I kind of knew bits and pieces anyway. And they did speak about um, the PDHM, the uh, pasteurized donor human milk. And Mm -hmm. of course I was like, yes, there there was no doubt in my mind that I wanted them to have some donor milk um, while I was trying to build up a supply. Mm. So it was in, so that's one of the plan. questions that um, yes. with this um, episode, we're interviewing a few different mums that have been through yes. a similar situation. And that is one of the questions is about those initial conversations and how much yes. the health practitioners around you understood about the process and the pasteurization and all of those yes. things. Um, yes. You're coming from such a unique position, having probably had those conversations with women yes. at times. Um, yes. So, yeah, that knowledge is power, I guess, works absolutely in your favour in that situation, whereas absolutely. for some of the other aspects, it might have been pretty scary for you because you yeah. probably knew, you know, survival rates and all of yes. those things and, you know, what absolutely look like. Um, so what benefits do you feel like your girls got from receiving that donor breast milk? All of that beautiful uh, gut lining from the um, breast milk because being so prem, they're at risk of the necrotizing enterocolitis, so Mm -hmm. that major gastrointestinal uh, disease, if you will, for preterm. So having, you know, I didn't want to give them formula unless it was really needed. So if I give them my milk or breast milk, um, I was willing to to do that. Um, Mm -hmm. And just... Being a mom and being a midwife, I just so badly wanted them to have breast milk, mm, uh, whether yeah. it be mine or somebody else's. I didn't didn't really care as long as mm. they were getting it. Yeah. Um, and it's just, you know, 
if we can have human milk for human babies, that's that's brilliant. And I'm mm-hmm. obviously in full support of women that don't want to and want to use formula instead. Of course, this isn't yeah. A, uh, this isn't a debate of um, formula and, and breast milk, but my mm-hmm. personal experience, I wanted the girls to have breast milk at mm-hmm. such a young age, just mainly for their gut, really, mm-hmm. um, just to protect, protect them from getting that neck, which is yeah. serious for preterm babies. That's what was in the forefront of my mind. I don't want them to get neck. I don't want them to get yeah, neck. Yeah. If I could do anything to prevent that, mm-hmm. I, I would, yes. Yeah. Um, and I've put a comment at the top of this episode as well that this certainly isn't a breast milk versus formula type yeah, debate. Absolutely. It's more just about, you know, talking about people's experiences of having absolutely. used it. And allowing families to know in the states where it is available that this absolutely. is an option to consider. Absolutely. Um, and that, yeah. yeah, within your own family and with your health practitioners, you make the decision that's best for exactly. your babies. Exactly. 100%. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, premature babies also often need blood products. Um, yes. And this can come in the form of blood transfusion that increases the number of red blood cells that carry oxygen around the body, um, particularly to the brain and the heart. Um, Red blood cell transfusion can also be used to treat anemia, which reduces the symptoms such as apnea and bradycardia. Did either of your girls receive blood products during their time in NICU? No, they didn't. We were fortunate Mm -hmm. enough that they did not need any blood products. How fabulous. uh, Which I felt very lucky about, yes. Yeah. No blood products for the girls. In in your experience, though, I guess you would have known that there was a risk of that and simply knowing that those blood products would be available if you needed them must have been really reassuring as well. Oh, 100%. It's, yeah, Yeah. knowing that everything was at our, you know, fingertips reach for the girls if needed Mm -hmm. um, is very reassuring knowing that that was there. If If they needed it, we're just lucky that they were healthy, well, preterm babies. Yeah. Um. Well, lucky Cora, she's my older twin. She was born two minutes before Sage. Um, Cora was. Oh, the names are beautiful. Thank you very much. <laughs> I think we picked them at four thirty in the morning the next Good. morning. It took a while to decide, but oh, um, they're beautiful. Thank you very much. Um, yeah, Cora was a bit bigger. She was one point two kilos, and Sage was a teeny weeny nine hundred and sixty grams. Mm-hmm. So, in terms of twenty eight weeks. Cora was probably a good size stage. Mm. Yeah, she was all right. So, yeah, we're very fortunate that we didn't need blood products. Um, Mm -hmm. But obviously there are lots of preemie babies that do. And to know Mm. that we have these services here in Australia, that babies can access that, it's wonderful. How lucky. So lucky. So lucky. So fortunate. How did you go handling babies that little? Because midwives just throw babies around with so much confidence. Did they (laughs) feel more fragile when they were yours and they were that little? Um, I feel like I treat every baby like they're my own or a family member's baby. So I feel like I felt like I was just at work, if that makes sense. Like when they were born, yes, I knew they were mine, but I was also very much in work mode, like Mm -hmm. very methodical, very survival mode. And the only difference with these babies is I could kiss them and cuddle them on my skin and pop (laughs) them on my chest. Um, Whereas I've helped facilitate a lot of when I've worked, I haven't worked in Skaboo special care baby unit or NICU, um for some time mm-hmm. um I don't actually probably NICU never I've been into NICU to do things but never yeah, to really sure. look after those tiny prems my skill was probably from around 32 31 32 weeks onwards mm-hmm. so I have helped parents facilitate that but yeah I guess when they're your own they it is 
it is very different in that term, mm-hmm. but I always care for women and babies like they're a family member or my best friend or my sister. Yeah. Um, it's just it was nice I could snuggle these, well, my babies yeah. and kiss them and yeah, uh, yeah. pop them on my chest for that beautiful mm-hmm. skin-to-skin kangaroo yeah. care. Yeah. yeah. And just, yeah, it's just such an incredible thing that you do, meeting women and families where they are at their most incredible point of vulnerability, Absolutely. building that intimacy and that trust. And Absolutely. I just think, you know, I think all nurses are phenomenal, and I've said this on the pod in different episodes, that nurses are just superheroes. But midwifery is just it's just it's just so special and it's thank lovely. you so it's much so... for what you do oh so my, it's my families. pleasure I, mm-hmm. I do love it and I have missed it being on maternity leave yeah. I um, have missed the women and the families and um, helping women from all walks of life I think that's what I love the most mm-hmm. as well is we're so lucky and have so many diverse cultures here and I yeah. get to do community home visits and be amongst their culture and it's really Amazing. beautiful. It's something that you don't get to see a lot and I feel very privileged to be a part of so many women's um, journeys and stories and um, mm-hmm. heartbreak as well. It, yeah. free can be, it's not all happy endings. So to be with women at sometimes the, the most devastating points of their life is also special to help Mm -hmm. families through that time um but even so now being on the other side I'm going to go back to work with a whole new skill set Mm -hmm. a whole new vocabulary of what it's like to be on the other side and Mm -hmm. I can't wait to share not only my professional side but also if women want to my personal side with them so they do know that there is a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel because it is a long road Mm. and sometimes you don't know how long that road's going to be and I think that makes it hard doesn't it absolutely and they always say you know NICU and special care baby you know two steps forward you know three steps back uh you know some days are great and some days aren't so great and Mm -hmm. I think um yeah, I, I can't wait to get back to work to help women mm. from now being. I have a whole new respect. I think midwives, regardless if you've had children or not, is fantastic. Yeah. And I think now I, I've had the premi- not only premi mum but twin mum mm. um, uh, skill set now. I am looking forward to going back to mm-hmm. um, help with and a bit more. What a beautiful thing to know that you're in the right profession, that you're missing it That's while you're right. on maternity leave. And, yes, you know, I do. The women that you care for would really, really feel that. Yeah. Um, we've had some amazing practitioners look after us at different times and yes. some people that clearly would have probably preferred to be somewhere else. But you always yes. sort of give benefit of the doubt. Maybe they wanted to be somewhere else because their heart and their mind was actually in the birthing suite That's next true. door with someone yes. else that was having a really rough time, like That's a loss true. Something yes, like that. Exactly. Um, so I am also a twin mum, which I didn't disclose. Oh, oh lovely. Oh, that's so nice. Um our story is a little bit different. Um, yeah. unfortunately, one of our babies died in oh. utero. Um, so we have a survivor. Um, oh, I'm so sorry to hear. Yeah, so uh, we lost him midway through the pregnancy um, but carried them both to term and still birthed them both. Um, And the skill of the professionals that I had around me in those moments to hold that joy of the fact that Campbell had survived when all the odds were against him having lost Benjamin during the pregnancy and everything that we went through and 
um, to be there to share in that joy and the relief and the yes. safe and he was there and he was with us and then to birth Benjamin immediately yes. afterwards with my placenta um, yes. and go through the process that we did to have him, you know, we wrote yes. in a letter and we wrapped him in a patchwork blanket and yes. we had him cremated and then um, those ashes scattered in a baby's garden and then yes. on significant anniversaries we go there and have um i'm sorry <laughs> i'm just making no, it's um, okay i'm sorry for getting emotional no that's okay um and you know part of the reason that i'm telling that story too is that i felt so alone during that process because it's not yeah. something that i knew anyone who had ever experienced and there was that were well, you so lucky that one of your babies is still alive but particularly during that birthing process you know it was our last chance to say goodbye you know even yes. though I knew that he had passed he was still part of my body and he was still part of his surviving brothers absolutely journey. he's very much your son still very and much and that's the thing I still and just spoken about and yeah, he's um, definitely part of our family story yes yeah. um, yes we have made a conscious effort not to have our children walk our grief path but still to weave his presence through our family Absolutely, story. which is um, important. Our survivor, Campbell, is nine now and yeah. he really identifies as knowing that part of him is missing. Yes. Um, and that was a lot of the advice that we got from psychologists is that if you don't tell, they were identical twins, if you don't yes. tell them, they will always have a sense that something is missing because right. that, that experience yes. being in utero with another of baby. Of course. They just know. They knew each other first. They yeah. knew each other first. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, I very much still define myself as a twin mom. Absolutely. And very much part of our journey. So Absolutely. when I was. Oh, thank yes, you for sharing that with thank me. Thank you for what That's you do. Great. That's sort of oh. the background of what I was yes. saying. You know, yes. I just think it's such an incredible thing to share in those moments with people Sorry absolutely oh thank you um so you must have had some really scary times when your girls were first born um particularly given your profession wondering if they would survive with a 28 yes. week gestation and both being breech and you know all of those things yeah. and also not just if they would survive but what their quality of life might look like yes um absolutely but they seem to be doing quite well now. So can they you just tell are. me about the girls and tell me what a typical day in your house looks like? Yes. Yes, they're, they're both thriving, which mm-hmm. um, I feel very fortunate about. Throughout yeah. the whole Nikuskaboo journey, they both did extremely well. I think the only one setback we had with Sage, the younger twin, is she came off CPAP to go mm-hmm. on OptiFlow and then had to go back on to CPAP. That's mm-hmm. the only step back we had. So I feel like we were so very lucky to not only mm-hmm. have one healthy preterm baby but two healthy preterm babies. Yeah, sure. And a typical day, they've just turned one, but they're about nine, <gasps> ten months corrected. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, uh, we just had a big, big um, party for them, and my husband and I, we got married at their party. So we had. A oh, how exciting! <laughs> so we didn't want to take their special day away, which is their yeah. birthday is the tenth of the tenth. We did it on the ninth of the tenth. So yeah, sure. um, it was lovely. It was a big, beautiful celebration. Wow, um, congratulations! That was great. Thank you very much. It feels weird saying my husband now, but it's nice. <laughs> <laughs> it's lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the girls are absolutely thriving. Um, Cora, the older twin, she's now eight kilos, and Sage is oh, a little tougher. Wow. She's nine kilos. She was the wow. little one. And yeah. she's just chunky babies. They're both 
sitting up on their own now and they're talking a lot and Cora's Wonderful. almost crawling. We're a bit slow in terms of our mobility, but we're pretty quick in our cognition, if that makes sense. Brilliant. Like we're talking and clapping and waving and we're just, they're just happy just sitting and playing together, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, typical day, I'm, I'm not a routine person even because I do shift work. My, you know, I'm not used to structure. So sure. having a structured day now is, for me feels very weird. We get up and I'm no longer breastfeeding them. They have formula and um, food now. So yeah. we get up, we do bottles, we do breakfast, then we play and then it's nap time, then we get up and it's lunch and bottles and food, then play time, then it's a nap. And then yeah. we get up, sing songs, walk, go to the shops, come home, tea, bed. So it's like it's just I feel like it's... um the same thing day after day yeah yeah um, I'm pretty lucky in terms of they're pretty placid babies and when I take them to the shops and put them in the trolley everyone's like they're so quiet and the all the regulars I see are like they're always so happy they are very happy babies yeah very content babies they sleep beautifully. I'm very lucky in terms of that respect did you sleep them together to start with or separately they've always been um next to one another in Mm -hmm. just for safe sleeping I never put them in the same bassinet while I wasn't watching when they were napping through the day I would because I was watching them but overnight Mm -hmm. they're in their separate bassinets yeah they're in our room and just recently we've just moved them into their own room so that was a bit of um uh an emotional time for me (laughs) this is the first time I've been (laughs) separated again I think it brought back the whole leaving them having to leave them in NICU and come home with yes because I've still got their cock cards stuck on my bed behind oh, me that's so attached to them I yeah. can't let that go yet mm-hmm. if that makes sense yeah so they're in the room next door so I can hear them when they wake up or I have the monitor so yeah we've just transitioned them to their own room now and yeah very big and independent and they've I always like them to be together um, I haven't I think they can make their own choice when they're older if they want to share a room or yeah, of course I'll let I'll leave that to them but yeah, yeah. it's it's busy uh yeah. busy busy having double the work but it's easier in the sense that I don't know what I'd do if I just had one baby like <laughs> when when one wakes up before the other and I'm playing with one I'm like it feels so weird. Yeah, like it, and you've got because they're your first yeah, pregnant, the first right. babies. You've got nothing I've to never, compare it to. That's right. I've never yeah. experienced singleton babies, mm. so yeah, I, I kind of feel like uh, we're missing a piece when one is still napping, which is fine. But it's yeah. um, yeah, it feels odd when I've just got the one there. If mm-hmm. that makes sense. So yeah. yeah, they're thriving, bubbly, happy girls. So yeah, I can't. I look back beautiful. at photos and I. Can't believe they were ever that small. So yeah. what more could you hope for than that's to have right. that? That's just beautiful. Absolutely. Um, so what would you like to say to Australian breast milk donors um, and to oh. anyone who's considering using breast milk? I think it's going to make me emotional for the donors yeah. <laughs> because, like, it's just a gift that how can you ever say thank you enough for that? Mm-hmm. Because it's a time when... I maybe could have expressed that knowing that I had donor milk to use, I could cuddle them longer yeah. and I could be with them longer. Yeah. And that's lovely. So I get so emotional because I'm just so thankful. Mm-hmm. And that women that take their time, that are busy with their own babies, 
or may have experienced a loss that mm -hmm. still want to use their breast milk for the in honor of their babies mm -hmm. like that's just amazing like mm -hmm. they are absolute angels to mm -hmm. take time out of their day to give to families like myself and to my daughters I'm just so grateful yeah. because having two mouths to feed and having to express you know six seven eight times a day while you're in NICU sometimes you run out of time and knowing Absolutely. that yeah. knowing that we had the backup of that beautiful milk mm -hmm. it's magical it really it's just, is it's love in oh. a bottle isn't it it's just it's it's it is. so special. It um, sure is. After we and had I, our twins, I had a massive oversupply issue because yes. um, my body was obviously preparing to feed two babies and then only yes. had one. Um, and there wasn't a program like this available at the time yes. that we had them, but I was able to share with some friends that had babies at the same time. And that was really special for me too, to be able to Yes, absolutely. So, um, absolutely. The ultimate act of kindness. I oh, think. Kindness and love just, in a bottle. Oh, it's absolutely mate. And we're so lucky mm -hmm. that there's that option for mm -hmm. vulnerable babies and for mm -hmm. preemie mums and mums that maybe even have more than to have triplets have quads yeah. you know that they still get to have the benefit of breast milk because my mm -hmm. body certainly wasn't ready mm -hmm. and um I recently had a big weight loss so I think um that maybe impacted on my breast milk supply as well right. with, in terms of nutrition and mm -hmm. I think the stress and emotional roller coaster going through NICU yeah, also course. impacted my supply I was on yeah. motilium I was on the yep. breast milk cookies yeah I was, yeah um, doing the power pumps or whatever they're called mm. I had to when I express manually squeeze my breasts as well yep. as having my pump on to get any kind of mm. so I would like I just never had especially enough when you don't hours. have your baby with you for that yes. let down Absolutely. so I remember so we had to leave Thomas he was a 35 weeker so not yes. very very early but was born with some still early yes so he was in special care for, we had to leave him there for 10 nights yeah. And it felt like an absolute, excuse me, eternity. And I remember sitting up, yes. it just really reminded me seeing those cards on the back of your bed, yes. bed sitting up in bed <laughs> at night time with photos of him. And I yes. would rub a wrap on the top of his head every night before I would come home and yeah. that smell it. That smell of him yes. to try and just sitting there crying, just going, I just want to go back to my baby. Like, I just don't yes. want to be here. I want to be oh. here. Just tearing him. yourself away from their cot side yeah. every night. Mm. It's just something that is so unnatural. Yeah. And, and I had such a fear that I was going to, this is just such an, the impact that it has on your mental health as well. Yeah. I was so scared every time I walked into special care that I wasn't going to know which one of those babies was mine. Yes. And so we tied a helium balloon. To the top. Oh, I love that. And it was just like so a could welcome him. to the world baby type situation and we just want to make it pretty. But it was so every That's time lovely. I walked through the door, I'd know which kid was mine. <laughs> I know, because there's sometimes in a big room all these isolates. and <laughs> I would have known. It was like I was this fraud and people would think I wasn't ready to be a mother or something. No, I love that you put a balloon on there. I think that's beautiful. My niece um, kindly coloured in some beautiful um, pictures and drew them pictures, so I stuck them on, yeah. on the cots and I made sure I knew which uh you know the blanket they put over the isolate mm -hmm. to stop all the bright lights and I made sure I 
you know, remembered which one I had on that night. So yeah, I, when yeah. I came back the next day mm-hmm. um, that I knew which <laughs> which cots were mine. But, yeah, you do walk and you think, or if they've been moved into a different mm-hmm. room, you think, where's my, like, where's my baby gone? Yeah, yeah. You know, you come in there happened and, and they haven't called me. And yeah, Yes. Which, I think yeah. my worst moment was, it was interesting you were saying before that you can kiss your own babies, was walking yes. in one night. I had, we'd left and then I'd gone back. I'd forgotten to get something and I'd gone back to get some bottles for expressing or something. Yeah. And I came back in and one of the midwives had Thomas on her chest and she was kissing the top of his head when I walked in. And I just wanted to rip him out of, it was beautiful. It was such a weird thing because it was beautiful that she was cuddling him and settling him and doing those things that I couldn't do because I couldn't be there, but kissing him just like, I'll never forget. I understand. You don't get to kiss my baby. Like, like, and also like, just don't kiss my baby. Like we're being so careful because he's got a compromised immune system. That's exactly (laughs) right. Like being a midwife, I Yes, I've never kissed anyone else's babies in my <laughs> work, professional life. That's not, that's not my job. That's mum no, and dad's job. And that's right. Just, uh, especially now in uh, COVID times and stuff, we've got to, and just um, you don't want to spread your viruses and germs to these compromised babies. But, yeah, it felt so different to be able to just have your um, babies on you and to kiss them because like yeah you don't I don't do that in my professional no. life that's yeah crossing the the barrier so yeah um, and I think I was worried as well in NICU because I had some friends that would look after my babies overnight um and some that some people I didn't know I didn't want them to do things like bath them I wanted to do that yeah. and I wanted to change their clothes and I wanted to weigh them so when I came in like I said before I kind of went into work mode I would do everything before I left I'd bath them mm-hmm. redress them remake up their cots um so I kind of got in there some other mums might need encouragement to do that kind of, of stuff because who's used to holding a 28 weeker no yeah. one who's yeah. used to holding a 30 weeker like they're so little mm. for so long mm-hmm. um and I think when I go back, I'd like parents to feel like a little bit more, they can be a bit more involved because sometimes it's so scary and so traumatic, They, which some people might want to just stand back and watch. But I think the more families can get in there and get involved and touch their babies and hold their babies and it become mm-hmm. a different kind of normal, yeah, sure. um, I mm. think we can get parents to, to and especially for mums and dads and for breast milk production having your babies on you and sometimes I hated when I couldn't hold them because they needed to have their rest because they do need to grow and be in their yeah, isolate absolutely I'm like, they're my babies I want to hold them if I want to and mm-hmm. I need them on me for my breast milk production yeah. like all of this is going through it was so, so sometimes very conflicting with my mm-hmm. professional mind to my mum brain um yeah. And all the epic hormones that were running yeah. through your oh, body. In the middle of the oh, the shower and cries, the cries yeah. in the shower. The good, the you need the good shower cries. They're so <laughs> you important. Do. You do. <laughs> and I think for my husband, Stu, I, he knows my world of midwifery and what normal looks like, having, you know, your beautiful term baby that comes straight from being born up onto your chest not having that and him walking and meeting his babies, not even seeing them be born and walking yeah. into NICU and meeting them in a plastic box. Like yeah. he was kind of thrown into the deep end as well. So I feel like I was not only trying to support myself 
but to support him as well. And he took it like a trooper. I'm so Mm. proud of him and all the NICU dads that may sometimes feel like they're getting a bit forgotten. Like Mm -hmm. they're so amazing, the NICU Mm. dads and NICU support people, um, you Mm. know, whether it be grandparents, aunties, uncles to be okay at once like it's fine for him to grieve that he wasn't able to be there when his girls were born and to support you but also to say that in the same situation you'd never do anything differently because that's what you needed to do to keep your girls safe and to keep that's exactly right and it's okay to sit with both of those things being true at the same time exactly 100 percent right yes absolutely all right. Well, I think that's everything that we need. So thank you so Great. much. We got My so pleasure. much out of that interview that I wasn't expecting to get out. But when we booked I'm in glad. the interview, I actually didn't know that you were a midwife. So yes. um, that is just, I think there's so much information in there for anyone who is planning a family. Um, and that's one of the things that we have said as well is it's great to be open-minded to all types of different outcomes that you can have Absolutely. when you're creating your family. And thank you for providing all of this information about the different options that you've got to feed your baby my, when they come. It's along. my pleasure. Thank you for having me. And I hope we can uh, bring as much awareness to breast milk donation, whether that be cons- your baby's consuming it or if you're wanting to donate, hopefully, and hopefully not just vulnerable babies, can have it but hopefully in the future later preterm babies or term babies can receive it too so I think the more we talk about it and the more we get awareness out there the more the more donors will get and the more it'll normalize yeah I just want to be a part of that and if this interview can help someone maybe donate or maybe maybe they're on the fence about giving it to their premature baby hopefully Mm -hmm. if this can help a mum or a family out there either donate or receive it I think it's definitely worth doing and absolutely worth talking about. So I've loved um, chatting with you and getting to know some of your stories. So I appreciate you sharing with me today as well. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Mandy. This has been a really special interview. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a special episode of the Milkshakes for Molly podcast and that's why we saved it until New Year's Eve to release it. Um, We actually recorded it in November during Prematurity Awareness Week, Um, but we've saved it until now. I think the last few years have been so rough for so many people and it just felt like new hope and it's fresh and it's love and it's family and I just really hope if people are listening to this on New Year's Eve that the year ahead for you is filled with happiness and joy and love and laughter. Um, To speak with two families with four babies between them that have benefited from both blood and breast milk donation was just such an honour. And I'm so grateful to them both for sharing their stories of such a vulnerable and traumatic time in their lives. But then such a joy to hear about the normality of chaos and laughter in childhood that both the families are experiencing now. And I'd really encourage anyone who is interested in being a donor or accessing breast milk from a milk bank to look into what is available in your local area as it varies across states. Nothing feels more Australian like the modern demonstration of mateship than donating blood or breast milk and this product being used to keep another Australian alive. Our daughter is still alive today because of this incredible selfless gift and it is my privilege to create a space for others to tell their stories and to give thanks. This podcast was written and presented by me, Kate Fisher. Today's guests were Nikki and Mandy. Marley's dad and my lovely husband, Jeff Fisher, did the audio production for this episode. 
To make an appointment to donate breast milk, plasma and other blood products in Australia, please go to www.lifeblood.com.au and we would love it if you could add your donation to the Milkshakes for Mali Lifeblood Team Tally. Thank you for joining us for the last episode of this year of the Milkshakes for Mali podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave us a review and rate us and share this episode with a friend. And as always, I will leave the final word to Mali herself. Thank you for my prize, Mali.